this is Rachel McElroy. Hello, this is Griffin McElroy. And this is wonderful. In this show, we like to talk about things that we like and things that are good and things that we're into and challenging political... What? Religious, scientific, the crossroads huh? between art and sex, and we get real with it, and we don't... Whoa. A lot of folks just sort of beat around the old bush, but we're not we're not doing any of that. Because people right now are looking for conflict. They you know? want... Well, it's not conflict. It's not the right way of thinking about it. It's more like conflict... But where it intersects with, it's the crossroads with beauty and <laughs> art and science and religion. Welcome to our podcast, Crossroads. This one's called Podcast Crossroads. And we talk about- We'll so, meet you there. We'll meet you there. And it's going to be a rough listen. We're going to challenge <laughs> some of your ideas about science and religion and sex and politics. Maybe you don't want to listen. Maybe you shouldn't listen. <laughs> But this episode, I think we're mostly going to focus on the things that we like and yeah. are good and things that we're into. And right now, I'm going to ask you if you do have any of those small wonders. Uh, okay, let's see. My small wonder, I'm going to have to say, uh, if I had to narrow it down, so let's say I'm picking just one, and now there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of small oh, wonders. so good. And so if I were to, let's say, pick just one, I would say- wow. One thing we haven't talked about, <laughs> um, we we have a coffee grinder and we we grind. Wow, you are really scraping the bottom of the, the beans. You, Rachel is pulling out a checklist of all the appliances in our house and she is crossing off the final one. Now we need to wait. You haven't talked about our uh, carbonator. We have a carbonator. I haven't talked about the defrost function on our microwave. Y- yeah, that's I true. Should. No, I like we we just kind of made the switch to whole bean coffee like years ago, and it just makes me feel very fancy when I, I grind those beans. And I notice virtually no difference. You say that, but if I were yeah, to but switch, if we went back to Folgers, my tongue would fall off. You're yes, saying exactly. I know I joked, but I do want to focus on the carbonator because um, <laughs> I mean I st- I have more or less stopped drinking soda. Like I know I if we go out somewhere or get some some like quick fast food or something yeah. like that, I'll get a soda. But like uh, I don't keep it around the house, and I think that's mostly because I had a really brutal kidney stone one time that I needed surgery for, and the doctor was like, "No more brown sodas," and I was like. That sounds made up, but okay. Because yeah, I no, really that's a thing they say. Uh and so yeah, I just we do carbonated stuff, but like I don't wanna go through you know, four land four cans of uh LaCroix or Waterloo in a day. So we just got this little carbonator, it's nice. Just grab the bottle from the fridge with my lunch and just guzzle some of it down. It's fast, yeah. although we're running out. We need to re up the tank. Oh, okay. I think we have one more tank. People don't give a shit about this, though. <laughs> Do you want to hear my first thing? Yes. Flu shots. Whoa. Flu shots. That's a big, serious one, huh? You probably thought I was going to come at you with, like, Fritos scoops. Is this a switcheroo? Are we on Sawbones? It's uh, Yeah, we're doing a trade. They're going to talk about Fritos scoops gonna talk about Fritos. on the <laughs> next episode, and we're going to talk about flu shots. No, uh, me and Henry just went to get our flu shots last Friday, which was not something I was looking forward to because he has never loved a shot, but he has also never been sort of old enough to be kind of cognizant yeah. of what is going on whenever the needle comes out. When you bring, this is something I didn't think about. When you bring the baby to the doctor to get the shots, 
The baby doesn't know what's happening. No, so that like and it, it not to get too graphic, but like the needle goes in, and there's like a second there where the baby's like, "Oh, huh," because the, there's no looking at it and tensing up and like freaking yeah, out and getting yeah. scared because you, you know fear is the mind killer. Uh, <laughs> but he knew, yeah, basically he, from the parking <laughs> lot. He was like, "Uh oh," and it was just me because you know you can't you can't double up yeah. really whenever you go to a medical facility these days. Uh, so I was not looking forward to it, and it was a genuinely not pleasant experience. And uh, for him, for me, I was like, it's fucking stone cold, big brave boy. <laughs> uh, but when we got home, like he was having trouble with it, and he was like, I really didn't want to get that shot. And I was like, but you were really brave. And he was like, I really wasn't. Uh, <laughs> and it was so sweet, though. I told Rachel he was. There were like other kids who came in to the to the uh, office, like. Uh, right after us and so they were like waiting to get their shots and henry was like crying right after he got the shot and as we were walking out into the lobby i was like now listen buddy if you can do you think you could you know uh, stay calm while we're in the lobby so you don't scare the other kiddos because they're about to go in and get their shots and he did and it was so sweet (laughs) it was like the best kid shit ever um but I talked to him about it and I was like trying to calm him down at well, well after the fact about the shots. And I was like explaining why flu shots are important and why they're good. And in doing so, I kind of like got myself hyped up about like <laughs> how amazing, well, vaccines in general are amazing, but the flu shot specifically is kind yeah, of a cool can I thing. I confess something to you? Yeah. Like, I realized that I didn't really start getting flu shots until recently. Like, it, yeah, it for a long time, I just thought, well, I never get the flu, so I'm not going to get the shot because I was a younger person and I just didn't think about those things. And now I just like, I feel like, why not, though, dude? Why not is a good question. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're fairly inexpensive uh, and they help you not get the flu, which yeah. is a, which is a real tough customer. Um, it is. it Yeah. The flu is nothing to, to mess around with. Anything you can do to limit your exposure or chance of catching the flu or limit the severity of the flu if you do catch it is a good thing, even in years where, you know, the flu vaccine is not the most effective. There is a huge, uh, I don't want anything I say here to be taken as like, so maybe skip it sometimes because I I get the flu shot every year because I don't like getting sick. Uh, And the CDC recommends that like pretty much folks in every category get the flu shot since it's our our best weapon against uh, the the flu spreading. It's especially important this year because, you know, you don't want to soak up any hospital resources that you don't have to in a time where the the COVID-19 is is kind of popping off again. Uh, So I, I guess I would encourage you here at the top to to go get one if you have not already. Uh, so every, the, the CDC and the world health organization recommend pretty much everybody over the age of six months to go get it. They do use, uh, embryonized, is that the right word? I don't know. Fertilized, maybe, I don't know, chicken eggs to create and develop the flu. But even if you have like a severe chicken egg allergy, they still say, Hey, you should probably get the flu shot. The only people that shouldn't, uh, are people who have been allergic to like past, flu shots with a, a similar cocktail um and the efficacy and effectiveness are two different kind of like measurements of the flu shot i'm still having some tr- trouble like telling the difference between the two uh but the efficacy is kind of easy to measure comparatively because it just looks at the antibodies in in people's blood after they get it the effectiveness is like the observed uh, affect the 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 flu vaccine has on limiting the flu that 
that season. Uh, so that's like tough to say because the the flu has like pretty wild i think it's antigenic drift which is like it mutates a little bit and so now the flu shot may or may not be so effective it sometimes it's tough to know if somebody actually has the flu if it's like yeah. shifting um but the the variability is a, a pretty wild swing so to to give you an idea in 2004 the CDC published the CDC recently always publishes this table of uh, effectiveness estimations for past flu shots. 2004, it was 10% effective, which still represents like an enormous amount of flu prevention. Uh, in 2010, it was 60% effective. Whoa. In 2010, do you think when you got the flu shot, you were just like, oh, oh, damn, that's a good, that's a one us a see meatball. <laughs> That's a good ass flu shot, right there. Your food there. tasted better. Your food tasted you could run better. Run faster. You got uh, three inches taller. Um, <laughs> so the wheels of invention sort of started spinning, uh, unsurprisingly, during the Spanish flu in 1918, which was a bad one. And just doctors and pharmacists were just throwing spaghetti against the wall to to see what stuck and made people not die. Uh, and the only thing using like medical technology of the day that seemed effective was blood transfusions from recovered people to like recent victims of, of the Spanish flu. Um, so that kind of got the wheels spinning. And in 1931, a dude named uh, Ernest William Goodpasture, uh, who was at Vanderbilt, uh, discovered that he could grow uh, viruses in hen's eggs, uh, along with some other colleagues. And other folks kind of took that discovery and started to run with it, including Jonas Salk, who invented the polio vaccine, which saved uh, approximately 55 bertrillion people uh, <laughs> and is uh, one of the greatest inventions in the history of mankind. Uh, in the 1940s, the U.S. military took sort of what all of these different scientists were working on and developed a flu vaccine for folks in World War II to use. And then shortly after that, it became widely available. Um, but yeah, I just think, I don't know. It's a, it is the way I pitched it to Henry is like, there is a, it's so tough. Cause you don't want to scare him. Like we, we, there's yeah. certainly enough things out there to scare him that we try to limit his like anxiety over while still like being like on the playground, like, Hey, uh, you know, cause he you will gotta do that. keep your mask will, on. Like, you gotta stay away once and he'll be like, Oh, I'm sick. I have to get under a blanket. Yeah. So like it, he's, he's like hypersensitive right now. So when we take him to the park, like we do need him to stay away from yeah. other folks, but you know, we don't want to scare the shit out of him for the rest of his life. Yeah. But it is like kind of empowering to say like, here is the thing that you can do and it's going to hurt for a little bit, but yeah. then like you are made more invincible, more protected to this thing that's out there. And yeah. you, that's one way to sell it to a child, but it's also a way to kind of, I don't know, conceptualize it yourself that, that just makes the flu shot seem like such a rad yeah, thing. You know what? And, and I am, I am very appreciative of things I can control right now. Oh, God, yes. And the flu shot is like, oh, here's something I can do. Yeah. It's proactive and and kind of incredible. I don't want to tell tales out of school. I ain't, I'm no scientist. I'm no doctor. But when I did get the flu shot, I was like, mm, oh, this feels like a Does good Does it feel good this year? Oh, it feels good this year. <laughs> feels. I will say the shot didn't hurt at all. And I think it's maybe because I was trying, me and Henry got them at the same time and I was trying to put on a brave face. But it didn't hurt this year. So I don't know. Maybe they got smaller needles. 
Do you want to tell me all about your first thing? Yes. Okay. You have your computer closed. I don't know if you're trying to save battery or if it's like an eco-friendly thing. Um, <laughs> I don't want to distract myself. I don't want to get like a little notification and you're like yeah. talking about something important to you. And I'm like, ooh, a sale. Oh, there's a new Foxtrot <laughs> comic strip. I'm just going to check in on <laughs> Doonesbury. <laughs> I get email alerts about Doonesbury. Uh, yeah. We all do. So what's your first thing? My first thing is Poetry Corner. Oh, boy. We haven't done a song in a while. I wanted to do one. Oh. Griffin has tremendous range. He doesn't make a big deal out of it. <laughs> You think you think Griffin can only go high, right? I've only heard him go high, but he just goes high. Like this. But he goes low. Too. I can get down low. <laughs> Poetry. Uh, <laughs> the poet I am bringing is Kevin Young. Okay, okay. Uh, he is a black American poet, has published 11 books, uh, is currently the poetry editor for The New Yorker. Okay. A little magazine. I've heard of it. Funny, um, funny strips. Talk about, do you want to talk about Doonesbury? <laughs> these strips blow Doonesbury out you know, of the water. a lot water. of comic strips need like seven or eight panels. New Yorker is just like, hey, here's some people on a street. Yeah. And you're laughing already. You're, they're saying something so <laughs> erudite. And it's like a gut buster. <laughs> Um, so Kevin Young, uh, gave this interview. So he is, he's had an, uh, just a number of accolades. He was a professor of English and creative writing at Emory. He, uh, was a finalist for a national book award. For American Idol season four. <laughs> Got just barely beaten out by Bo Bice. That season is such a touchstone for you. I don't know if I I don't know anything about Bo Bice <laughs> or season four of the American Idol. Well, hold on. Okay, let's do this. One was Kelly Clarkson. Two was uh, Clay Aiken, Ruben Steyer. Three was Fantasia Barino, I think. Four is, I think I fell off at four, honestly. I watched the Taylor Hicks season. Was it Taylor Hicks? That may have been four. <sighs> yeah. Okay. W- what were you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> um, he uh, he actually grew up in Topeka, Kansas. Uh, his father was an ophthalmologist. His mother was a chemist, and they moved like half a dozen times before he was 10 uh, and then ultimately settled in Kansas, which uh, is not actually where he ended up. He hmm. ended up going to Harvard and then got his MFA at Brown. So okay. he, uh, not currently in Kansas, but I appreciate the Midwestern roots. Absolutely. Uh, so I found this interview with him in Entertainment Weekly in 2018. Okay. But you don't see a lot of poets in Entertainment Weekly. They, po- poetry can be entertaining on, on occasion. <laughs> yeah, but usually it's like, you know. The new Marvel movie. Yeah, here's the new Robert Downey Jr. film. Yeah. Not like, here's this great poet yeah. that we talked to. Uh, but he gave an interview about poetry. And, you know, you know me, I love like a, I love a clever turn of phrase. Uh, but the thing I like about Kevin Young is that he really identifies moments to kind of pay attention, right. you know, in his poetry. He, like, gives kind of a unique perspective, and it's not like he's, like, super clever with, with language as much as he's just like, hey, look at this thing, and I'm going to talk about it in a way that's meaningful. 
Uh, So in this interview, when he was asked about poetry, he said, a poem can provide testimony. A poem can provide solace. It can provide connection. But it can also provide a sense of something you knew was there, but you couldn't quite put into words. I think they can often articulate for you, and this is true for the poet and for the reader, something you didn't quite know. The sense of mystery, but also of revelation is what I turn to poems for. They're able to embody experience. We need more of that. Absolutely, we do. Yeah, I I felt like he really got it, kind of the thing. Because, I, you know, I, I'm, it's not like I exclusively read poetry. I appreciate a lot of forms of literature. Right. Uh, but there's something special about poetry for me, and I feel like he really kind of captured it. Yeah. Um. So I'm going to read a poem of his called Expecting. I wanted to give just kind of a content warning that this is about pregnancy, uh, specifically his wife's pregnancy. Grave, my wife lies back, hands cross her chest, while the doctor searches early for your heartbeat, peach pit, unripe, plum pulls out the world's worst boombox. A Mr. Microphone to broadcast your mother's lifting belly. The whoosh and bellows of mama's body and beneath it nothing, beneath the slow stutter of her heart, nothing. The doctor trying again to find you, fragile fern, snowflake, nothing. After, my wife will say in fear and patience, she went beyond her body, this tiny room, into the ether. For now, we spelunk for you one last time. Lost canary, miner of coal and chalk, lungs not yet black. I hold my wife's feet to keep her here, and me, trying not to dive starboard to seek you in the dark water. And there it is, faint, an echo, faster and further away than mother's, all beatbox and fuzzy feedback. You are like hearing hip-hop for the first time, power hijacked from a lamppost, all promise. You couldn't sound better, breakdancer, my favorite song bumping from a passing car. You've snuck into the club underage and stayed. Only later, much, will your mother begin to believe you're drumming in the distance. My Kansas City and Congo Square, this jazz band vamping on inside her. I love the tension of that poem. That's one of my favorite poems I think I've ever heard in my entire <laughs> life. It's there are there are a lot of poems about uh pregnancy. Not a lot from the male perspective, which is exciting about this one. Um, but also just kind of the tension of that experience in in the room when you're like waiting for that baby's heartbeat. Uh, and then just kind of the way he describes it. Like it's not overly sentimental. It's not like you know, this being transcending us and embodying our spirits as one, you know, it's like... No, it's, it's about, <laughs> I mean, it more sort of accurately encompasses, the, that's not, when we're in the sound for, or the room for an ultrasound, I'm not like, oh, holy endeavor of, <laughs> like, for me, it's like, no. oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, God, oh, no, oh, please, oh, God. <laughs> yeah! Like, it, it, it's like absolute mortal existential terror yeah. to, like, the most, to, like, excitement. Yeah. Yeah. And I also wanted to use this poem to say that uh, Griffin and I are expecting yeah, another child. Baby! Uh, I, okay. So I really, really wanted Rachel <laughs> to announce that. Well, first of all, this is our first time like talking about this outside yeah. of like our private like family group. Yeah. Um, and I really wanted Rachel to announce it <laughs> in 
a joke that she told me <laughs> while we were lying in bed one night. It was fairly recently after like the first ultrasound. Um, and I like to say, I like to, once I've consumed a large meal and I'm feeling kind of sick, I will sometimes do a Dave Matthews impression. Yeah, I feel like our listeners know this. I have, te- I have mentioned this before. Where I, where I you know, I do much. Mm-hmm. Um, and Rachel turned that back on me in a way that is, uh, I'm bringing this up, I'm making such a deal about it because it's the hardest I've laughed <laughs> this entire awful rotten year. Uh, and I'm, I'm hoping that Rachel can sort of recreate uh, the delivery. Yeah, it was one of those. So when I, when I tell a joke to Griffin that is going to involve some voice work, I have a tendency to kind of play it out in my head and figure out if I can pull it off. And so I was laying there and I was thinking about it and we were quiet. And then I was like, uh, talking about how my stomach hurt. And then I was like, um, I ate too much because I'm having a baby. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Griffin was like, that has to be how you tell. The poem was beautiful. Literally maybe my favorite poem I've ever heard in my entire life. But I do think we missed a trick. <laughs> by now now we've done both. Now we've done Now both. we've done it my way and your way. So we're having a little boy. Yeah, another baby boy. Another baby boy. And uh, do next uh, April Fool's Day. Do April Fool's it. Day. Most likely we'll be here earlier, probably on my birthday. On Rachel's birthday, March 29th. <laughs> so this is our, also our way of announcing that our schedule is going to uh, yeah. be very erratic starting uh, end of March 2021. And then from that point onward forever, probably just a little more erratic than it is yeah. now. Because we'll have two of them we're very excited though. we're extremely extremely and yeah and i and i wanted to share because uh obviously it's something that is impacting our lives a lot yeah and i would like to be able to talk about on this show i think yeah um yeah we so thank I, you kevin young for your poem <laughs> for your poem it made me very emotional in a way that i don't think a poem on this show has done before <laughs> it's hard for me to read any poem right now yes um, oh by the way when rachel cried about the um, the umbrella <laughs> the umbrella poem the umbrella mom poem <laughs> if you're just wondering yes there was a there was yeah. a certain amount that was th- this applied some english to that particular ball a lot of times i read a poem and i think oh this will be good and then i try to read it out loud and i'm like oh this is much harder <laughs> yeah um hey can i steal you away yes Griffin? Yeah. You know what's a shame? What? Is that when you order uh, meals to be delivered to you, they can only be for dinner. That's true because of the law. But wait, wait, what's this coming across our desk? The law is different now? (laughs) It's factor. These rebels are operating outside the boundaries of food law. (laughs) Factor has breakfast. They have midday bites. They have smoothies. Uh, There's lots of stuff you can get with Factor. What other things can you get with Factor? Well, I'm looking at this menu right now. They got a lot of tasty little options for you. I'm talking about artichoke and spinach chicken with roasted zucchini and tomato butter. Did you even know that butter could be tomato? (laughs) Not me. Shredded chicken and loaded mashed taters. With I changed the word. They say potatoes, but I said taters, precious. With mushroom <laughs> gravy, smoked cheddar, uh, bacon, and Parmesan broccoli. Uh, this this menu is out of sight, and my mouth is just watering looking at these glossy JPEGs of tasty food. 
So head to factormeals.com slash wonderful50 and use code wonderful50 to get 50% off. That's code wonderful50 at factormeals.com slash wonderful50 to get 50% off. It can be intimidating trying to roll with the console cowboys in cyberspace. Um, there's always the worry that maybe they know something that you don't vis-a-vis um, website design or website functionality, and you think that I could never be that. I could never be among their illustrious ranks. Griffin, if I wanted to build a website where I ranked my favorite episodes of Ghost Rider, would I be able to do that? Well, first of all, it would be the same list as everybody else's with the Julia Stiles <laughs> episode at the top. But yes, you can do that with Squarespace. It's the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. Every Squarespace website and online store comes with a suite of integrated features and useful guides that help maximize prominence among search results. Do you want to have special functionality, like maybe a members-only VIP club section of your website? You can do that. Do you want to sell stuff? Yeah, you can do that too. Do you want to have an online scheduler so that people you can, you can sell uh, your time yeah you can do that also anything is possible that's um there for the commercial the super bowl commercial they had that was my voice yelling anything is possible in the wow background. yeah not a lot of people know that hey head to squarespace.com slash wonderful pod for a free trial and when you're ready to launch use offer code wonderful pod to save 10 percent off your first purchase of a website or domain hey i got a jumbotron here and this one is for carmel and it's from kirsten who says, having a mom that I can give flowers to in Animal Crossing and in person was something I never expected, but I'm so happy I can do. Whether it's baking D&D cookies, that stands for, um, that, stand, that stands for dragon fruit, and there's not a lot of foods that start with D, if you really think about it. Durian. Oh, God, what a bad cookie that would be. Uh, Watching our fave shows or laughing so hard that we cry over our favorite podcasts. I'm incredibly lucky to have you in my life. Thank you for always being my wonderful mom. I love you. That is so sweet. Um, Rachel and I are back in Animal Crossing. Uh, We are. I'm doing a big, a really like two million bell reno project on my entire (laughs) island just tearing it down to the studs and i did sort of run dry run the coffers dry and got a letter in the mail that was like hey babe love you and it didn't have anything in it and then i got a second one immediately (laughs) after that was like i forgot and she sent me a hundred thousand bells can you guys believe that what a what a woman! Hey, you you financially backed a lot of my early projects so i was and i told you it's not alone this is this this was a gift Do you want to read this other one? Mine is alone. Uh, This one is for Ian and Aaron. It is from Tan Man with the Plan Stan. Life basically went into hard mode last March with tornadoes destroying our neighborhood and the pandemic delaying y'all's wedding for a year. But next year, we'll be back to getting South Centrals and photos at Crying Wolf, Chunky Sunday shakes on the reg, and finally celebrating your marriage with all our friends. You two are the best. Love. That is a good plan, Stan. I like that. We don't really have a roadmap. Well, especially post April 1st, 2021. (laughs) But we need some things on paper. Things like chunky milkshakes. I know. It's very important to have things to look forward to. And all of these are good things that you mentioned. Are you feeling elevated levels of anxiety? Do you quake uncontrollably, even thinking about watching cable news? 
Do you have disturbing nightmares? Only to realize it's two in the afternoon and you're up. If you've experienced one or more of these symptoms, you may have FNO. News overload. Fortunately, there's treatment. Hi, I'm Dave Holmes, host of Troubled Waters. Troubled Waters helps fight FNO. That's because Troubled Waters stimulates your joy zone. On Troubled Waters, two comedians will battle one another for pop culture supremacy. So join me, Dave Holmes, for two, two, two doses of Troubled Waters a month. The cure for your news overload. Available on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Can I tell you about my second thing? Yes. I'll try and keep it short. I feel like we've gone, we've got, we went long with our baby announcement. Yes. Uh, mine is a video game franchise that you, I believe you have some exposure to. We've played it a bit. Uh, it's Little Big Planet. Oh, yeah. You love the Little Big I Planet. I adore this entire franchise. Uh, it's one of my favorite. It's like one of my favorite game franchises from uh, a developer called Media Molecule, who's like one of my favorite uh, developers. They're, they're based in... Uh, uh, somewhere in England, I can't remember. Uh, and yeah, I just I adore it. It is a series of games that has had three main installments and a few like portable games, and then a few like there was a kart racer, uh, and there's like a, a, a there's some new game coming out on the new consoles coming out uh, in next month. Uh, but these games are all about uh, creation and creativity and imagination uh, through the lens of like a platformer, like Mario. If you're not like well-versed in the parlance of, of video games. Um, the first one came out on PlayStation 3 all the way back in 2008. And I remember really looking forward to it because it just looked so cool. And the idea behind it was really, really special. Everything in the game is customizable. Like you can make your own levels, but also like you can change uh, Sackboy, who is this little woolly knit protagonist, uh, changes like face and his body parts. You can put costumes on him and you had stickers that you could put all over Sackboy. You could just stick all over the level if you were feeling like, you know, being artistic while you were jumping around death pits or whatever. Uh, and it was a bonkers like amount of artistic creativity that then sort of got more and more sophisticated. I think we played Little Big Planet 3 together, uh, like pretty soon after we started dating. Um, and by that point, like, they had added things like uh, logic gates and wiring and motherboards, all represented, like, very visually and tangibly. So, like, you could put a physical, like, piece of wood in the world and then stick these little chips to it to, like, create, like, logic. So you could create really, really advanced stuff. Like, people were taking this platform game creation tool set and, like, recreating Doom, like, making first person like shooters and like interactive chess boards and like doing all this wild stuff from it i i spent a lot of time making levels in little big planet 2 and i actually learned a lot about programming through this through this like visual tangible method of creating logic in in the games which was really really cool there's some concepts like and or gates and um, if then switches that are like actual very universal like programming concepts that I feel like I had a leg up whenever I started to like take a look at learning programming because I kind of knew that stuff from this very cute platforming video game. Um, it's also like a really fun co-op game, like which me and Rachel yeah. really enjoyed. You don't really like a, a, a lot of complexity, I feel like in a in a game, and this one. Yeah, has. I just I just like it to be fun. I like it to be rewarding. You know, um, I I don't like to feel like the game is really 
making me work for it. Sure. Uh, and so I really appreciate this one. We also really liked uh, Yoshi's like Woolly World. There yeah, was that, and there was like felt a similar. Car- Kirby's Epic Yarn. I feel like anything that has a very arts and craftsy vibe. Yeah, I like that kind of tactile. Like, oh, I could just reach in there and hold these things. And that's absolutely what this game's all about. Like, you ride around on a giant skateboard because you're supposed to be like two inches tall. It's yeah. very, very cute. The, the aesthetic of this game is like out of control. It has this kind of like general hyper upbeat um like oddball creative energy that almost kind of gives me a, a like a bake-off vibe like that level of like always stay posy sort of intention uh it is narrated by stephen fry who like yeah. is always talking about shit like the dream and like talking about all that <laughs> stuff uh the story of the games is it, they're always about sort of like creativity realized in some like hyper stylized way uh, and it's kind of like this weird Ouroboros because these these creative communities uh, formed around the games in a way that was kind of unprecedented uh, at, at the time. Like I mentioned the people doing like stretching the boundaries of like what people could do with the tool set in, in, in a way that it was kind of mind boggling. But then you would get um, groups of people who would like get like communities who would congregate online there was like a web portal where you could comment on people's levels and follow them and like add them to playlists and like favorite creators and like stay in communication with them so people would get together and i remember this one project where like 32 different creators got together and recreated super mario brothers each like taking one level and viewing it through like a different artistic lens it was like this That's hugely ambitious cool. thing, but it was really fucking rad. Can you talk about the time period for this too? Yeah, so the first game came out in 2008. I think uh, Little Big Planet 2 was a few years after that. That's what feels so notable about it for me is that like it, people weren't really doing that then. I feel like they're doing that now, but I feel like... It, it was just really clever to like create this whole community or that's like all about like making absolutely this levels. was this was pre minecraft blowing up yeah so like the idea of people congregating online to collaborate on an extremely like ambitious creative project was kind of like not like kind of unheard of um and the the, the, the right now medium molecule has put out a game called dreams which is basically the same thing. It is like Little Big Planet's like creative aesthetic and like huge ambitious tool set, but they've kind of just removed the platformer side of things entirely. So you can make whatever in there. Like you can, people are making movies, people are making like big ambitious role playing games. Like people are making all kinds of wild shit in a way that would be way too complicated for me to explain. I think we did an episode of the Besties on it. Um, but the best thing about these games. Uh, and the thing that was most formative for me was the soundtracks, which introduced me to so much cool music. Uh, they're hip as fuck. Uh, the Go Team, uh, Battles, Passion Pit. Uh, there were themed DLCs. So there was like a Marvel downloadable content pack where now you could like put Marvel shit in your levels. There was a Muppets uh, content pack that had like the Muppets theme in it that you could put in your levels, which is so delightful. Uh, Crystal Castle, CSS, like so many dope ass, like cool bands yeah. uh, that were fairly underground. I remember one of the theme songs to one of the games was uh, Sleepyhead by Passion Pit, which was oh. like the summer jam yeah. of 2010 or whatever year that came out. Uh, and here it was like the first time I heard it was in a trailer for this video game. Yeah. Like uh, the, the, the music was so, so, so cool. Um, and, That's so yeah. cool. It's so easy to feel like endeared to creators when they like, 
they don't have to make something cool and they just, they do. And it, and you know, there's like, there's kind of a, a low bar, I think that they could have met easily. And Absolutely. Then, and then they just added all this stuff that made it so unique and like heartwarming. And I, there's a certain amount of, and I don't want to get like shitty game journal about it, but like there's a certain amount of crassness that you kind of have to like accept for pretty much all video games that come out. Like a certain amount of like, these are the decisions that you made to like uh, justify the enormous cost that goes into making video games. Yeah. And it is so, uh, I will say, like, so completely hidden in these games yeah. because it is so celebratory of of just human creativity and artistic endeavors that it is, it, it's it's kind of hard to see the, yeah. the, you know, price, price gouging that's going into, <laughs> uh, uh, going into it. I love these games. I adore them. I've been jonesing, actually, to, to, to go yeah. back and play some of them uh because they're just i i i love that these games exist i love that the developer exists and uh it's it's i'm i'm looking forward to the new uh the new one that comes out here in a couple months i think hmm. what's your second thing you've closed your computer again you really really got some got some distractions on there <laughs> playing farmville what's i'm down up? to 19 percent oh, okay see i wondered if that was maybe a factor I didn't want to stress you out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my second thing is something that I actually had you do a little bit of earlier in the poetry corner, and that is scat singing. Okay. I will be curious to hear about scat singing. <laughs> I feel like I know a lot about scat singing. Scat singing. <laughs> From like the time period where it was a thing, but I don't know anything about the origins of scat singing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I... It, this is one of those things, you know, it's kind of like when you watch, you know, just any kind of like good improvisational work, whether it's like comedy or music, and you think like, oh, it doesn't seem that hard. And then you you try and do it yourself. It's very difficult. Yeah, it's very difficult, especially for an extended period of time. I mean, everybody can. Anybody can scoot it, bop, bop. Yeah, But right? then trying to do that for 16 <laughs> bars. And it's... <laughs> um, oh, so there... A lot of people like associated this with like Ella Fitzgerald and Louis Armstrong, um, but there is a suggestion that it's been around a lot longer. Um, if you look at some of the earliest examples, you'll find like performances in like the 1910s. Um, and there was an interview with Jelly Roll Morton, who's mm. a jazz pianist, who said that uh, he cites... Uh, Joe Sims of Vicksburg, Mississippi. <laughs> it's like, it's a very like, you know. Very specific <laughs> origin point. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, like all we have are recordings, you know. Yeah. So it's difficult. I would trust the word of fucking Jelly Roll Morton <laughs> no. over most people. I feel like Jelly Roll Morton probably knows about the origins of scat more than uh, anybody I've ever met in my entire life. This Joe Sims, at least according to Jelly Roll Morton, was actually an old comedian. Hmm. Uh, and that uh, there was a suggestion that he he was doing this like in Mississippi and New Orleans, and then people kind of picked it up and, and like took as it all a over. like as a goof. Well, I, I don't I don't know. He was his like, intentions. I can do I can do jazz and bebop with my mouth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> and people in the audience were like, No, Joe, this is this, this is good stuff. This man. is something though. What lay you're this doing. lay this down, Joe. 
Uh, this this is something I, I feel like is definitely acquired taste. I feel like people a lot of times find it kind of disruptive when they're listening to like a jazz song, especially one that has, you know, like a, like a lyrical song. Uh, but if you think about it as as improvisation in the same way that a jazz musician would improvise, then it's it's like a little more palatable. I feel like I was reading this description saying that uh, this is a, an article I found from The Independent. It grants the singer the status of a solo instrumentalist like any other in jazz, thereby by extension, the social structures and power relations that condition them. This just like this opportunity to just kind of like break free and do a little, do a little beep bop bop a doop. Yeah, you I, know? I think, I think the issue, the reason it hasn't broken so big is one, I feel like most of my exposure to this has been like at kind of, shitty uh fancy bars where there's just like a sort of sausalito uh that's i think that's the name of the band from uh, uh lost in translation yeah that's just like uh somebody up there not really putting in the most passionate performance but then the other exposure that everyone has is the song i'm the scat man uh yeah. which is a which is a jam which is a jam yeah. but it's but it can't be the only sort of cultural exposure the the this this great nation of ours has to to scat i was also i was reading the differences kind of in scat performances that i thought was really interesting um there were different styles kind of depending on what band the singer was performing with so there's mm. like a suggestion that like you know, Ella Fitzgerald was performing with this, like these swing era big bands. And so she was doing a certain kind of scatting to kind of line up with those big bands. Whereas Sarah Vaughn was accompanying these kind of like small combos and the kind of the difference, the differences in scatting based on the kind of music you are performing with, which, you know, is something that you wouldn't really think about. But you know, different types of instruments would motivate you to make different kind of noises to like blend in with the the band. I mean, you, you think know? about like beatboxing, which I think you could yeah. make the logical leap to. Yeah. I think it's really easy to con- like say like, oh, there's really just only one type of 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 beatboxing because that's all you hear and it's all that you do when you try to beatbox. But yeah. then you hear like a Bismarcky do it and it's like, oh, actually, shit, wait, oh, fuck. Yeah, yeah, I I feel like it it's the kind of thing that is very rewarding to kind of dig into because you the more you listen to it the more you realize like how unique each person's style was. I wanted to play a little bit uh Ella Fitzgerald has a performance of How High the Moon. Uh and about a minute and a half into the song she she goes for it and I wanted to share a little bit of that in case anybody hadn't heard her uh, her version. There's a lot that's impressive to me. You know, it's interesting. I was thinking about like I have kind of an aversion to jam bands, uh, and there's something very jammy about uh, about scatting. Um, but I, I don't know. I I feel like that it's so clever and it dem- like demands so much quick thinking 
to like get these sounds to come out of your mouth that you're not entirely sure that your mouth can make, you know, yeah. <laughs> I just, I, I find it very impressive and very charming. And I realize how hard it is every time I try and do it myself. I feel like any kind of good improvisational vocal performance is rare. Yeah. But like just fucking rips. Like uh, <laughs> I, I remember watching this YouTube video of this woman, like backing up a fairly like, uh, gospely soul band and she she was like just sort of doing doing just improvised runs and then she tried uh harmonizing with herself whoa through like singing one note but then you know how you can kind of like whistle one note and like hum another like yeah kind of doing that with her with her voice like while she was doing a run and like the rest of the band was like you're fucking wild are you kidding (laughs) it's like one of my favorite youtube videos uh any kind of like really good improvised vocal performances is really something to watch yeah uh our friends at home are talking about some stuff can i tell you yes cody says howdy my small wonder is things being described as an absolute unit I taught my little brother how to say it, and hearing him call my chocolate cake an absolute unit is marvelous. I feel like you're the first person I've ever heard to do that. I mean, I think I got it off the internet for oh, sure, for sure. Okay. Like most things, like most things anybody says these days. No, there are definitely some cats I have seen that fit that description. I like describing little kids as an absolute unit. <laughs> Not all kid. There is. You really appreciate this when you have a a, a kid like in a uh, a daycare setting or something like that, yeah. or like seeing, seeing them in some some sort of social environment where you know all of the kids are roughly the same age group, but one of them is just fucking huge, <laughs> and your kid is quite small, and it's like you're the same. You are you have the same birthday. <laughs> it's why just kids grow. It, it, it's not like a read on any particular child. It's just, they all grow at weirdly different rates. It's true. It's so, man, kids are crazy. (laughs) Maddie says, since working from home in my quote, home office, my desk is over a floor vent. When I turn the heat on, I get a direct source of warmth directly to my feet. It makes getting out of bed on a cold and gloomy fall morning a little more wonderful. Oh, that is nice. I had this in my uh, apartment in Chicago. Right, a little office, and it was all hardwood floor everywhere, and there was a little vent right under my desk, and oh, God, it was so good. You had to be careful, though. You had to be careful. My- I lived in a place with radiators in Chicago, which was a wild experience. Ooh, I don't know that I've ever had that. It's, it would scare me. It is kind of scary. <laughs> my papa Crawford had a huge floor vent, like a huge one, and it was right between the living room and the dining room. Like a huge, enormous metal floor vent, uh, almost like a subway <laughs> cover. <laughs> that I rem- I remember stepping on that so much, and even when the heat wasn't on, when in bare feet walking on like a floor vent, like doesn't feel great. But when the heat was on, it was just like stepping on a waffle iron. That was that's the <laughs> evil version of this. But that house was always quite warm. So uh, thank you to Bowen and Augustus for the use of our theme song. It's a departure off the album, putting the days to bed. And uh, thank you to Maximum Fun for having us on the network. Yeah, I would encourage everybody to go to MaximumFun.org and find a new podcast today. Another charming one I would recommend, Can I Bite Your Dog? Oh, yeah. People like dogs. I was Sorry, I was answering the question. Yes, you may pet the secret dog that I have kept in this house under your nose without your knowledge for going on four years now. 
Man, that is some good cleanup work you've been doing around the house. His name is Brisket. He's a oh, Shetland Terrier. So good. He is cute as a button and very quiet. He's so quiet. He actually doesn't bark or make any noises. He just does a little throat clear. He does that every once in a while. He'll cough. He'll cough, and I'll be like, "That was me." You know, how I do that every now and then. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. I don't know why you do that. Anyway, come on out, brisket. Riff. <gasps> oh no. Hold on. Oh no. You think I would have noticed that? No, no. This isn't brisket. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, wild dogs have entered the studio. Ah! <laughs> MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.